God is so good. Man, I just, we just think about that for a moment, how good God is. And I don't know about you, but I don't deserve his goodness. I don't deserve his grace. I don't deserve his mercy, but he has been so good. Time after time, moment after moment, he's just been so, so good. I wouldn't be here if he weren't. And I believe most of you here have that same testimony. When you've been between a rock and a hard place, God has been so good to you that he, he fought for you. He plucked you out of that circumstance and he put you back on the right path where you needed to go. He's so good. I can just preach on that all day. That's not the topic of my text this morning, but I mean, it's a topic of every text. God is so, so good. Wow. Turn with me in your copy of God's Word. We'll be in Nehemiah chapter 8 here this morning. When we think about how good God is, it's not something that we should only think about and consider when we're in the midst of worship service. When we think about how grand, how uh, uh, masterful, how amazing our God is, it's not something that we should only consider on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night in prayer service, because he's not only good on Sundays, he's not only good on Wednesday. God is good, and he's good all the time. But we tend to compartmentalize everything that we have in our lives, and so that's what we do. Many of us only think about uh, how good God is or what he's done for us or think about reading our Bible when it comes to Sunday morning and like, oh, I got to go to church. When we're in our cubicle at work, we're thinking about all the things that we've got to get done on that day and we're not thinking about how good God was to make us, make us make sure that we were able to get through the traffic to get to our cubicle on that morning. We don't think about how good God is that when we were able to, to be there and we, we have no threats from the outside or people are coming and doing anything to us, we, we tend to forget and we just go on like it's a normal every day, but not thinking about how good God is that nothing happened out of the extraordinary. We need to constantly be thinking about who we are, what God has done. The church is more than something that we do. The church is who we are. Hopefully we have that and we think about it. I believe that there are many good and well-meaning people who will be surprised when judgment day comes. There are many people who walk around, they know the Christian lingo, they talk about how they're blessed. They talk about, they might even say God is good. They might talk about how God is looking out for them. They talk about how God is gracious. They might be people who give to good causes. They are people who are nice to others. They might even speak up for the vulnerable. They might even be people who uh, attend church on occasion and take their rightful place in the pew. Many of these people might think that they are going to heaven to be with Christ, but 
in actuality will spend eternity in damnation. One of the scariest verses in the Bible to me is Matthew 7 and 21. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus goes on to say, says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And this is what makes me shudder. This, this is what makes my stomach turn when he says, I would declare to them, I never knew you. He says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These people who might take up their rightful place in the pew, who, who might go, do good things, who might take care of people, who might give to good causes, who says things like God is good, all along thinking they might be going to heaven, but they're not. This, this verse tells us it's not only the one who, who is only the one who does the will of the Father who will be in heaven. It's not enough to, to check the box and say I was present on Sunday mornings. It's not enough to, to say that, well, I, I said the, the Christian-y things, I, I appeared like I was a follower of Christ, that's not enough. That's not what we're being asked to do. It's the ones who are obedient and growing in a relationship with Jesus Christ who will be with him for eternity. It's the ones who are fervently working toward and looking forward to the kingdom of heaven that will join us. Brothers and sisters, spiritual growth is built on the foundation of obedience to God's word. If you call yourself a Christian, let's break this down. A Christian is somebody who follows Christ. When we talk about disciples, we've been talking about disciples for weeks upon weeks now. A disciple is one that learns from another, like an apprentice. You know, if you are in a job and you're learning from somebody how to do that job, if, if you don't do well at that job after your training is done, you're not going to be on that job very long. To call yourself a Christian means that you're following Christ. You know or getting to know Christ. You're obedient to him and doing the things he called you to do. You're learning from him. You're learning from God's people. And he's sanctifying you. He's changing you. And he's making you look more and more like Christ as you are obedient to him. Well, if you don't do any of that, you can't rightly call yourself a Christian. It doesn't make sense. It's illogical to call yourself a Christian and you don't actually follow Christ or you make up in your own head who you want to say Christ is. It doesn't work that way. So what does this look like? Well, look at this in our text here this morning, Nehemiah chapter 8. Here we'll start in verse 1. The God's word reads, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. Uh, just as a, a backstory to catch you up, 
right? Nehemiah is gone and uh, he's he, uh, been told by his brother that the, the walls of Jerusalem have come down. They're uh, devoid of defenses. They've, they've gone and strayed away from God and, and what he's called them to do. And Nehemiah is so broken over the community and what's happening. He's like, I got to do something. I just can't let this go by. And he goes and, and, he, and he gathers people and encourages them and they go and build up the walls. They do something miraculous. They do this in 52 days. And this is not like a, a little fence that we see outside. These are monumental walls around the entire city that they were able to, to do in 52 days. And, and not to mention, they're not, you know, uh, contractors. <laughs> You know, they, they haven't been trained and not bonded and do all the stuff to do that. I mean, it, it, people from all over and from different trades are coming together and cobbling these things together. At this point, Ezra has been preaching for about 14 years and he's created an environment that's necessary for spiritual growth. He's been, been going through and, and, and preaching the gospel so people can know what's going on. And he softened this fertile ground with the truth and to help people understand God's standards. So while they rebuilt the wall, and that's good to have this physical layer of protection, but when the wall was finally built, what they discovered was like, you guys are spiritually broken. Your walls of spirituality are all broken down, and we gotta help build those things back up too. It's not enough just for the physical walls to be built up. Your spiritual walls have to be, and hopefully you all can resonate with this that you see around you, even though you're secure in your own homes, you're secure in your jobs and other things, but our spiritual walls, if it ain't broke all the way down, you might have some cracks and gaps and things going on. So it's because of the groundwork that Ezra laid by going and preaching to them that Nehemiah was able to find people to help rebuild the wall at all because they understood the, the point and the purpose of what was going on. Also, as a reminder, up to this point, people had gone through many of years of exile and Jerusalem had just been totally run down. The worship of God was virtually non-existent at this point. They had completely forgotten who they belonged to and who they served. Just like we talked about last week, Nehemiah's first order of business is to bring the people back to worship. He's like, this is the most important thing we could do right now. We got the walls up. We got some physical security. The first thing on our agenda is get right in our worship. Reminder of who we belong to and who we serve and what he's done for us. We are people who are made to worship and it matters who you worship. It matters how you worship. So Nehemiah is here to remind them of that. And this is where we see that spiritual growth is built on the foundation of obedience to God's word. Let's pick up in verse two. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who were, uh, could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden, wooden, wooden platform that they had made for this purpose and beside him stood Methali and Shema and Ananiah, Uriah, 
Hikiah and Messiah on the right hand, and Pedadiah, Michelle, Malachijah, Hashem, Hashabadiah, Zechariah, and Melissalem on the left hand. Um, I should get something for being a, we're trying to pronounce it. <laughs> and, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people, for he was above the people, and he, he opened up it all to the people that stood there. Ezra blessed the Lord and the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. We might have missed this, but check out that it says they uh, worshiped from daybreak to 12, which is about six hours that these people listen to the scripture being read. This is amazing. Who's down to worship for, for six hours? Uh, just me. Just me. Okay. Well, these people, people like to say nowadays that uh, folks have a short attention span, but I don't believe that people have a short attention span. Let me tell you why. Because we've got folks who are binge watching Netflix and other things much longer than six hours. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a short attention span to me. Or, or maybe they're hanging out with friends and family, and it seems like the six hours just flies by sometimes, doesn't it? Uh, time flies when you're having fun, so they say. If you're a baseball fan, you could be watching baseball today, starting you know, at, at 11 o'clock this morning, all the way through 8 p.m. tonight. You could have some baseball to watch, and I'm sure some people would be doing that. That doesn't sound like a short attention span to me. The reality is that you, you do what you want to do. The reality is uh, the things that you find and seek pleasure in, you would move um, uh, mountains and any other things in order to make sure you can participate in it. And you do it because, you know, when you think of the value, when you think of the benefit of something, the benefit to you, you immerse yourself in it. And it seems like time just moves by, it flies by. This is how people in the text you God's word. They were so caught up. They were so enthralled in what was being read to them that they didn't even notice the passage of time. They were so engaged with it. Look at verse 8. It says, They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. This is important here because this is just good old expository preaching. Expository preaching is simply when the point of the scripture is the point of the text. The primary goal is to explain the meaning and the intent of scripture. And, and it provides some contemporary examples so that people can understand the passage. And to me, this is a, a great way uh, for preaching to be done. Another way to think about it is that expository preaching exposes the meaning of the Bible. We're far removed from what's going on here in the text. So it's important, one, to understand what's happening in context, what's, what's happening here with the people that, that are being talked about is it matters uh, who this is being written to, who is being written by. 
And as we understand those things, and now how do I understand it and how do I apply it to my own life here in 2022? This is what expository preaching helps us to do. There's many preachers who come up with a topic that they would like to talk about, and then they come up with scripture in order to support that topic. The danger of this is if the preacher isn't careful, then he can take the scripture out of context and inadvertently or maybe intentionally distort the meaning of the text. So this is why I believe expository preaching is uh, best not only for you all who are gathered here in the congregation, but is also best for me. Because as a preacher going book by book and, and verse by verse, it ensures that I, I don't only talk about the things that I like, the, the, the things that I'm comfortable with. And it also helps you to understand the text as you're reading on your own, you're reading through the books of the Bible that you understand what's happening and you're able to be immersed in what's going on. We're going wherever the text goes when we come here. That's, that's what we do here at First Baptist Bolingbrook, book by book, verse by verse. So whatever God's word is saying, that's, that's what I'm going to say. And uh, it's not always going to be comfortable. It's not always going to be comfortable for me, and it's not always going to be comfortable for you. But we would leave knowing God better, deeper, and hopefully also be encouraged especially for a bivocational pastor like myself, um, you know, who has a few other jobs and, and in addition to what I do here on Sunday morning. So I don't have to spend time wondering what I'm going to do next Sunday. <laughs> so that's helpful for me. Like, you know, last week I was in Nehemiah 7. Before then I was in 6. Next week I'm going to be in 9. So it, it, it helps out. It helps me to understand what I'm, and it helps me to focus my study time. It helps me to focus my prayer time. And I'm not out, you know, kind of chasing rabbits on what's going on in the scripture. But with all that being said, we see the biblical precedent for some uh, expository preaching in this style here in Nehemiah. And we see that they valued the reading and the hearing of God's word. They stood up in, in reverence to it. And also, it wasn't just enough for them to hear, but they, they also needed to understand. They, they also needed to be obedient to what was being heard. Look with me in verse 9. It says, Nehemiah, who was governor in Ezra, the priest and the scribe and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Why, why are they crying? Why, why are they weeping as they heard the word being read to them, as it's being explained? Why are they weeping? Why are they crying? As they were hearing God's word, it dawned on them that because they had refused to spend time with God, they had refused to be obedient to him, they realized that they had been stagnant for year over year. In fact, they had been stagnant for 150 years without any progress. They start to, to hear and understand the law like, I can't believe what we've been doing. We have neglected God for so long. 
we haven't been obedient to anything that he said, and we haven't made any progress, any movement. We're the same as we've always been, and we wonder why things don't change. This is what occurred to them, and their response, rightly so, is to weep and to mourn. They can't believe that all the time that they wasted. But instead, how good God has been to them, even in the midst of their disobedience. Wow. As we have spent time the past couple years uh, praying about um, who we are as a church and, and what we're doing, I mean, this should resonate with some of us as a 55-year-old church. And, you know, what are we here for? What are we here to do? How should we be obedient to what God has called us to do? As I pray about our sermon series and think about, you know, what it is that, that, that we all need as a body of believers, it was clear uh, as we seek to revitalize our church that uh, we could take some cues when it comes to uh, how the church was being formed in the book of Acts. That's why we spent time in the book of Acts, so that we might be encouraged about how the church was started and put our minds to, hey, we need to get back to some of these things. We need to, to use this as an example for our own church here in Bolingbrook. It was a reminder to us that the same Holy Spirit that descended on the apostles and the people of the early church is the same Holy Spirit that is in work in us today. He is not changed. He still cares about his people. There's a popular song that says, if he did it before, he'll do it again. That should be an encouragement to us here today. The, the book of Acts really kicks off the, the New Testament, and we see so many amazing things that, that happen and after the time that Jesus was here on this earth. And then, as a natural extension, as I was praying about, you know, where do we go after Acts? It, it seemed like our series in Nehemiah was appropriate as, you know, he takes the steps to see how God uh, is using and working uh, through his people that will provide some encouragement for us here today as well. Not only is their city broken down and torn up, but so are the people. They've been beaten, they've been battered, they've been made fun of, just like some of us. Just like some of us have experienced. We need to see God's faithfulness with his people to not only supply our physical needs, but more importantly, our spiritual needs. We need this reminder right now, each and every one of us. These folks here in the text have been stagnant for 150 years, and when they heard the law being read, they realized how far they strayed. Church, it hasn't been 150 years for us exactly, but it's been a while. It's been a while since we have strayed and maybe we've done some good things and we may have done things for good reasons, but we haven't kept the, the central thing central. Maybe it's been 10 to 20 years that we've been in stagnation here at First Baptist Bolingbrook. It's our spiritual gates here that are down and we need to seek the Lord and helping to rebuild and keep the enemy at bay. This is why we have 
have this, this focus. This is why it's important. We need to have this example from Nehemiah to understand and remember that God is able. He didn't bring us this far just to leave us and drop us off. When we consider how far that we've drifted both individually and corporately, we could weep too. I mean, we could spend the rest of the service weeping about how far we've strayed, about how much time we've been stagnant. But I don't know that we need to. Look with me in verse 10. He said to them, go your way, eat the fat and, the, and drink the sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites uh, calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and make the, the great rejoicing because they understood the words that were being declared to them. So we could weep too. It, it, it might even be a good kickoff for us to spend some time and really thinking about how good God is and how far away we are. And just to get it out, just to weep and to grieve over that matter. But here we should see, receive some encouragement to know that the, the joy of the Lord is our strength. He's shown us so much mercy. He's shown us so much grace that again, that we don't rightly deserve, but he did it anyway. Lamentations 3 and 22 says the steadfast joy of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. In fact, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. We have to be careful what we focus on. So we could weep. We could think about how stagnant that we've been, uh, how, how wrong we've been, how much we've gone astray, how terrible we are. We could spend time and a lot of time focused on that, but I tell you, what we focus on is where our hearts go. And, 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 it, and it conjures up these different feelings, these feelings, by the way, that are fickle and should not be driving you, but we can be so focused on what's not working that we keep ourselves sad, lonely, and depressed. And we forget how faithful our God has been, that the Lord is our strength, that his, his steadfast love never ceases, his mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. When I don't feel good, when I don't want to do anything, his, his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. When we should be finding joy in the Lord, we try to instead escape. We're so downtrodden, we're so depressed, we're so worked up that we try to find escape. And we use TV, we use alcohol, we use drugs, and sometimes we use family and, and other things just to escape life because we forget to remind ourselves how good God is, how faithful he's been, how his mercies are new every single morning. 
when we're focused on the Lord, he will give us his joy. He's not telling you to conjure up your own joy and make yourself feel good and feel better. No, he gives you his. He, here, here you go. Take this and be filled up with it. Man, what a great God that it is that we serve. He gives us his joy and he will give us his strength. I don't know about you, but sometimes I just, I feel weak and I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what step to take next. But if we would, would seek the Lord, that we would be built up in his strength. It, he picks up our feet and helps us to walk when we can't walk on our own. Even though that feels like everything is falling down around you, you have to remember that God, he's still on the throne. He, he's still in control. He's, he's still king. He's still taking care of business. That's not something that we ought to forget. If he can keep the sun and the stars and the moon and orbit and all the things that he does, he can certainly take care of anything that you might be dealing with today. And I'm not trying to diminish where you might be or things you might be struggling with today, but I'm, I'm telling you that what you're dealing with is minuscule to our great God. He can handle it, even when you can't, especially when you can't. He's got it. Verse 13, on the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. This is so important. We celebrated Father's Day last week. We hopefully understand how important fathers are. Here, here we see how they started to, they heard uh, God's word and they started to be obedient so that the, the family heads and the fathers, they stepped up. They realized too, I haven't been doing my job I haven't been doing what God has called me to do as the head of my household. I got to do better. I have a responsibility to my family to ensure that they are going in the right direction. They understood that if they didn't abide in God's word and let it flow through them, then there was no way it was going to get passed down to the kids. So they went to Ezra, the scribe, and the priest to study so that they can understand Scripture, so that they can be the priest in their own homes, so they can wash their wives with the word, and they can pass it down to their children. They can, their children can understand who God is and why it matters. This is true for us here today. I could go on a tangent but we're going to carry on here in verse 14. And it says, And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booze during the feast of the seventh month, and they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem, go out to the hills and bring branches of olives, a wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booze 
as it was written. So these shelters were constructed as uh, a temporary housing that the Israelites built so that um, it it can be a symbol of when they were in the wilderness. They can remember where they came from and what God had done through his people. And, and then they, they rejoiced because of it. They, they, they rejoiced, and it wasn't because they were proud of these things that they were built. No, they rejoiced because they were finally grasping what it is that they needed to do. They were excited about their renewed obedience to the word of God that they had neglected for so long. They, they remember where God had brought them from, and they were like, this, this is what our forefathers went through. This is what God did for them so that we can be here today. How good is God? This, this spiritual growth started to happen because they had begun to be obedient. They had this feast of booze to remind them that how far they had come. There's this physical reminder that we have, you know, similar to when we celebrate the Lord's table. This reminder to us that we constantly need about what Jesus did for us, how he sacrificed himself for us, and also the reminder that he'll be back one day. I want to share this short story. It kind of exemplifies what we're reading about today. A father and his two children were swimming off the coast of New Jersey. There was a little boy who was eight and a little girl who was 10. And they were all pretty good swimmers. Obviously, the father was the strongest swimmer. Um, But as they were swimming, what they noticed is the tide was just uh, carrying them farther and farther away from the shore. And the father looked out and noticed what was happening. And he he knew he needed to do something. And he realized that it's going to be hard enough for him to swim on his own. And he definitely couldn't uh, rescue both children at the same time. So he had to make a choice. And so he, he looked at uh, the kids and he, um, he, he looked at the daughter who was older. And, and he says, look, I, I want you to stay here. We've gotten far from the shore uh, but here's what I'm going to do. I want you to know that you are a good swimmer. And if you thought about it, you concentrated on it, you can float on your back all day if you just tried. He says, honey, I don't want you to be frightened because I believe and trust that you can do this. I'm going to go take your brother, get him to shore. And as soon as I do, I'm going to come back for you. I'm going to come back to make sure that you are safe, so I want you to be there. Daddy's going to come back for you. Don't forget that Daddy is going to come back. So he swam with the eight-year-old boy, got him to shore. He called for help, and after a while, um, you know, the Atlantic was filled with boats looking for this little girl, and it was four hours later that they found a 10-year-old girl miles away from the shore, floating on her back. They rescued her and and asked, honey, how were you able to do this? Weren't you scared? Weren't you afraid? She said, no, daddy said, if I would focus that I can float on my back all day. And he said, he'll come back for me. And I'm just doing what he told me to do. It was obedience 
that saved this girl. It was her trust in her father that he would come back for her. Brothers and sisters, this is what I want for us. This is what I want for us to be doing when Jesus comes back, that we would be doing what he told us to do, that we would be obedient to him because Jesus said he, he'd come. And when the trumpet sounds, I hope that we will be found being obedient to his word. If you're here with us today and you're wrestling with where you stand with spirituality, know this truth. That is obedience that's the foundation for us to follow him. Obedience to God's word. And I want us to be thinking about this and in and everything that we do in our own lives that when Jesus comes back and we don't know when, we don't know the time, we don't know the hour, it could be now. Or it could be now. It could be next week. But when he comes, I want us to want him to find us being obedient to who he is and what he's told us to do in his word. If you have questions about this, I'm here to help you to answer those those questions. Um, we've got John here and Robin and others who can help to pray for you, pray with you, encourage you, and, and walk with you. If you. Like, how does this... What does this look like in my own life? How do I do all the stuff that you talked about? That's why we're here as a body of believers, so we can walk with you in that journey. I pray we'll be able to do that. And if you're here and you've been stagnant, it's okay because the, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Great is his faithfulness. Just turn back to him and follow him. Be obedient to what he's called you to do. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you so much for who you are, what you've done for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, we need your help to be obedient. There's so many things that come and distract us in our daily lives that it's so easy for us to go astray and forget about uh, who we are and who we belong to. And so, Father, we look to you for this continuous reminder of that, this continuous reminder about how good you are and who you made us to be. And when we look to you for your strength and your joy, that you would help us to be obedient so that we can uh, be with you for forever and eternity, that we would go down to the narrow path that leads to life. Help us to do that and, and, and help us not to stop there, that we would go and be able to share what we call good news with others who need to hear it. So those people who, who think they might be Christians but look nothing like Christ, who say churchy things but don't do the, the things that the church ought to do, that we would go and be able to share with them so that they might be encouraged, they might be able to have hope, and they might have the security that's found in salvation. Help us to do that as your ambassadors, Father. We thank you so much for your love, joy, peace, and mercy. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.